you guys for tuning in today and welcome to another episode of The Source. I'm your host, Zan Raza. And today we'll be talking to Lawrence Wilkerson about the latest developments in Ukraine. Lawrence Wilkerson served in the U.S. Army for 32 years. He was a former Army colonel and he was also Chief of Staff for then Secretary of State Colin Powell. Lawrence Wilkerson, thank you so much for your time again. Thanks for having me. Let us begin with the latest developments in Ukraine. According to the leading primetime news channel in Germany called Tagesschau, Russia just started a new offensive today in Kyiv and other regions attacking with 69 rockets. According to the media outlets who interviewed the Ukrainian Air Force, they speculate Russia may be running out of rockets soon. Can you comment on these developments? I don't think Russia's going to run out of anything anytime soon. Um, that's the real challenge here, if you're looking at it from NATO's perspective, is that Russia is probably one of the most strategically deep countries, not only geographically speaking, but industrially and otherwise, if you want to do it in the world. And apparently Putin wants to do it. Uh, so people have told me, and I don't know this much about the apportionment of resources, but I do know that there was a significant amount of Russia's heavy industry oriented towards its military in Ukraine. And so, and so they've lost much of that. But it's not significant enough, I think, that Ukraine could match Russia's capacity for long-term warfare. So that, that's Russia's greatest advantage here. Um, and Putin knows that. And so does Sergei Lavrov, who seems to be the bad guy right now in saying things that are contradictory, if you will, of what maybe some other Russian has said. And then there's Medvedev, who seems to have turned into a Western pundit type idiot, making all kinds of things, predicting that France and Germany will be at war and Germany will be the Fourth Reich and that it will happen very soon. I don't know what's happened to uh, Medvedev, but... Uh, I have a suspicion he's trying to emulate Western media and therefore get their attention and infiltrate with some Russian thought. But uh, no, Russia, R Russia has the advantage here. And every day that goes by, every moment that goes by, Russia's advantage increases. Now, there are a number of camps out there right now. You've got the uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor camp. Scott Ritter and others are involved in that one. You've got the Economist uh, sort of Western media camp. You've got the NATO camp. Uh, who knows that's watching this hypermedia on every, every front, whether it's London, even Berlin, Moscow, Washington, certainly. You, you can't find the truth. But there are some fundamental strategic truths here. And the most important one for Ukraine is that Russia despite NATO's support for Ukraine, which has been quite uh, substantive, has the advantage, a significant advantage. The more time that goes by, the more Russia will demand, the more Russia will be, quote, victorious, unquote, and the more Ukraine will have to surrender. You talked about different camps. It would be very interesting for our viewers to know how you view the media landscape without... Um, falling into any bias or any camp, so to say. As a defense analyst, how do you analyze the media in a way that, in your view, provides the most accurate assessment? Well, first, the mainstream media in the West is terrible. It's just terrible. It, it, it has not done anything but swallow hook, line, and sinker uh, 
Washington and London and to a wider perspective, NATO's uh, mantra. Uh, and, that, and that's a shame because we are not very well served in this country. Uh, and this is a serious, very serious situation. It gets more serious every day that goes by. Um, there are all manner of things that are happening right now. Germ the, the whole complexion of Germany is changing. It's changing almost on a daily basis. And I can't help but be the Mackinder, uh, World War One, World War Two European security guy that I was trained to be in the military and say, as goes Germany, dot, dot, dot. Germany is the real power in that part of the world outside Moscow. Um, and so with Germany being perturbated this way, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Uh, Medvedev making his predictions, you know, about a Fourth Reich and so forth are not what I would be predicting. But I am predicting that Germany is going to be a different country after this winter, a very different country. You may not have noticed that Germany's got, well, you're there, you probably have. Germany's talking seriously about 60%, I think, of German support bringing conscription back. Um, man, you couldn't get anybody in this country to even talk about that, let alone get 60% to approve it. Uh, so this is, a, this is a big change that's going to happen, I think, with regard to Europe, but particularly with regard to Germany, the real power in Europe, as far as I'm concerned. Um, serious uh, doings going on. And how do you interpret this if you're, you don't listen to the media? You simply can't and get a good view. Your kind of media, independent media, different story there. Normally, you're going to get one side powerfully and then go to another independent media source and get another side powerfully. But that's better than get, getting the hype and, and, and so forth. Somewhere in there's the truth. Now, like take McGregor and Ritter in that camp. What they're saying reflects what I said initially about Russia. Their depth is huge. They can go on forever. Um, Ukraine can't. Uh, NATO will tire, especially the European NATO members. They will tire uh, of putting all this money and effort and time into these things, especially when you've got you know, situations like Poland talking about, maybe we'll just reclaim a little bit of territory that we've lost. It happens to be in Ukraine while Ukraine is pressed otherwise. Um, these sorts of things don't help at all. Um, one of the reasons I said the expansion of NATO was nonsense and dangerous and stupid uh, when Bill Clinton first started was you're taking into the Article 5 agreement, the nuclear umbrella of the United States of America, countries that have a history, a long history of not being able to keep steady borders of being coveted by their neighbors or coveting their neighbors themselves. Um, you've got a country like Montenegro, which the last time I checked was sort of the stolen automobile capital of the world, um, or other countries that uh, are, are suspect in that we should be giving such guarantees to them, particularly the United States, but NATO in general. So the media has not done itself well in this. It has not covered this conflict very well at all. Let us to return to latest developments. Zelensky, re Zelensky recently visited Washington with much fanfare and full bipartisan support. The U.S. approved a 45 million aid package after Zelensky's visit and also Patriot defense missile systems. How do you 
uh, assess this development? This is more in the uh, the uh, lunacy of continuing to make this war go on. Um, somewhere we have to get, and I'd say one of the initial things that should be done, and I think it could be done if everyone would put their heads to it, is stop this arms flow. Um, I mean, Putin can still wage his war, Zelensky can still wage his war, or their parts of it, uh, without this massive arms flow that we've been, people say, well, no, no, Zelensky would collapse immediately if he didn't have NATO support. I'm sorry, most of the support has gone into the defense contractors' executive salaries in the United States, more so than it has in real weaponry for Ukraine. Now, some of it has, of course, and, and that has helped the situation. But if you get some sort of monitoring that works and you stop the arms flow all around and you make the countries deal with it as they are equipped now to deal with it, rather than augmenting them all the time, that's your first step into getting into some meaningful negotiation. So the arms flow has to stop. It simply has to stop. And this was this was just slightly better than Netanyahu's uh, address to the joint session of the Congress. I'm embarrassed. As an American citizen, I'm embarrassed. I was embarrassed by Bibi Netanyahu criticizing a sitting president in front of the legislative branch of our country, and that legislative branch, at least in its Republican fashion, clapping and cheering for him. I'm a little bit embarrassed by Zelensky coming over and having a, you know, wined and dined, as it were, by the United States Congress. Um, th this is nonsense, what we're doing right now. And, and it's a picture that we're presenting to the world and certainly to the other side that we may have to negotiate seriously with, Russia, that it is not a good picture. It's simply not a good picture. This is not something we should be cheering. This is something we should be lamenting every day. This is something we should worry about every day. This is something we should be working to stop every day. We have other challenges. We have other things to do. The world has other challenges and other things to do. We need to get beyond this. And the only way you get beyond it is to talk. And right now, the, the talk on both sides is so hard that I wonder how, and as long as the United States is behind Zelensky, his talk is going to stay hard, I wonder how we're going to do it. I thought a week or two ago, a month ago, that we were already talking in secret, that we had some things going on. Maybe Lavrov was talking to Bill Burns or something like that. Now I'm being told, nope, nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. Well, that's bad. That's very bad, because as each side has said, negotiations are the way wars end. Well, let's get those negotiations started, seriously started. Uh, Ukraine has also developed capabilities to now attack Russia's air bases with drones. For example, it recently attacked the Engels Air Base, uh, killing three service members. How do you assess this new development and capability of the Ukrainian military? First, let me go back to your other question. I, I, I neglected to answer it. I don't think Patriot missiles do anything. They just send that signal. Again, they say, oh, Zelensky, you came and we gave. Um, Patriot missiles are not going to do anything to the amount of missiles, types of missiles and ordnance that Russia can render against Ukraine. Uh, it's just a symbolic political symbol, if you will. Um, and that's why Putin is probably not too worried about it. 
Um, the other aspect of it, though, that Russia has the missiles it has and the drones it now has, and by the way, we can thank Israel for many of those drones, and we think we can thank Israel, not just Iran, and we can thank Israel for entering into Russian major core size operations in 2013 and 2014 and taking a very inept Russian military in terms of drone coordination and drone use and making it very efficient. And also, thank you very much, giving them some good drones. So Israel will sell to anyone at any time to make money. Um, I'm, I, I shouldn't criticize Israel for that. We will too, most of the time. Um, so the, the idea that either side is going to, in a sudden technological flourish or a sudden I've got these arms flourish, as opposed to yesterday, change the battlefield is nonsense, utter nonsense. According to the German media, Ukraine has been offering peace summits uh, that also involves Russia. However, Russia refuses to participate, according to the German media. Why is this the case? I really think the sticking point here, and maybe I'm paying too much attention to Lavrov and Putin, um, but I think the sticking point is Russia wants to insist that at such a summit, any kind of negotiation, Ukraine would not be a principal player, that it would just be Washington to whom they were talking, or NATO, if you will. But I think Putin would probably say Washington. Um, and as long as we insist that Zelensky and Ukraine are a principal part of the negotiations, they're going to say no. Um, and that's 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 seems to be a non-starter with Putin. Now, can we get beyond that? I think we can, but it may take the United States well, sort of behind the scenes, assuring them that Zelensky will not have the influence that perhaps Putin thinks he will have on the, on the negotiations. And incidentally, there's all kinds of rumor coming out, as there is and was with Ukraine from about 2000 on, um, about who's really running Ukraine and who will ultimately run Ukraine and what the United States might do in order to move more rapidly towards an end of this conflict uh, might do that would seem to the American people politically untenable, like discard Zelensky <laughs> and, and accept someone else. Um, I'm not sure that President Biden, at least, could do anything like that because he so put his political career at risk with the support of Ukraine uh, and the American people have bought it whole hog. So how could you back off of him now? But certainly a Republican president in 2024 could uh, quite easily, I think, back off of it. Um, so there are other th other wrinkles out there, too. But I, I think the ultimate sticking point for Putin is putting Ukraine in a boat with Moscow and Washington. One of the key sticking points why Russia refused to participate in these talks is because of a condition that the Ukraine imposed, which was for Russia to participate in these talks, they have to recognize that they committed war crimes. Do you think Russia will ever recognize its war crimes, especially given that the United States has never done so either? That's a very good point. Uh, the hypocrisy of Washington is there all the time and sometimes deeper than uh, anyone else in the world's hypocrisy. Um, 
I think what you're what you're seeing, I, I hate to put it this way, but I hope what you're seeing is the sides throwing out things that are negotiable. Uh, they're throwing out things that are that, that look like on the surface they're non-starters, so that when they throw them away and they get to serious negotiations, they haven't cast aside anything too serious. Um, Russia's got its, and we've got ours, and Ukraine's got its. At the end of the day, there are going to have to be some concessions here on all sides, um, and that's just the reality of it. You, you, that's what diplomacy is all about. You never sit down thinking you're going to win-win. You sit down thinking you're going to lose-lose, not too badly. I mean, and if you win a little, that's great. But you think that the outcome is lose-lose, but not too badly, because that's what negotiations, especially negotiations as fraught as these will be, are really all about. Um, the, the the pièce de résistance in good, exquisite, what I call exquisite diplomacy is to win something and make the other side think that it was a neutral or maybe even a slight victory for them. And because you don't reveal all your cards and they don't reveal all their cards. Um, in this case, there are so many different things at play, including ultimately Ukraine's integrity, whatever that means. Um, and its integrity is fraught with its own nuances because there are Russians in Ukraine. And when you think about it, look look at the guy who's heading the Ukrainian military right now. He's a student of Karasimov, the head of the Russian military now. Um, and, oh, but I'm a Ukrainian, you know. Well, you know, you probably felt his, an affinity for Russia before. No doubt he did. Um, and there are many Ukrainians who are that way. So Zelensky does not speak for Ukraine. He speaks for Zelensky and a portion of Ukraine, which we've seen in the past, that was, um, I mean, I, when I was at State Department, I was working with the then leader of Ukraine who was trying to be killed by his own people. <laughs> we, you know, he had a distorted face even because they had poisoned him. Um, this is not a country that the media is billing it as a flourishing democracy defending itself to the last man or woman and so forth. Um, I'm not trying to downplay the courage of those who are fighting, certainly uh, very courageous people doing what they're doing. In some cases, though, they have no other choice. Um, but there is, a, there is a dichotomy here between what the reality is and what the media has portrayed it to be and what we have swallowed hook, line, and sinker in this country, it's being. And that's bad. That's really bad. That Every time you do something like that, the deeper it gets, the more profound it becomes, the harder it is to negotiate, politically and otherwise. And I'm afraid we're moving into that kind of realm where on both sides, you know, Lavrov, no, and Biden, yeah, you know, we're not going to do it. Um, and we need to be moving the other way. We need to be moving the other way. Uh, I hoped and prayed we were doing things behind the scenes, as, for example, Bill Burns was doing with Oman the good offices of Oman when we got the JCPOA with Iran. No one knew that was going on. That's the best way to start diplomacy. Um, that's what it's all about. You know, gentlemen don't read other gentlemen's mails. Hogwash. They do all the time. 
especially when they're diplomats. Uh, but we're not doing that, I'm hearing now. So I'm very, very disquieted by the fact that nothing significant seems to be going on in the background. Lawrence Wilkerson, defense analyst and former U.S. Army colonel, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to your YouTube channel and our alternative channels on Rumble and Telegram. And to donate to our year-end crowdfunding campaign so we can continue with our independent journalism in 2023. We can't do this without you. I'm your host, Sam Raza. See you guys next time. These are the building blocks that make up our organization and the goals we would like to achieve. In order to continue our journalism and realize these values fundamental to our democracy, we need 1,000 supporters in our crowdfunding campaign, donating only 5 euros or dollars per month via Patreon or bank account. Right now, we have only 200 supporters and are not able to take the next step. Our future is in your hands. Strengthen independent journalism and be part of meaningful change.